Bible or access to the scriptures, go ahead and uh, make your way to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be jumping in there this morning. And so in preparation for that, I'm going to kind of give you some context. If you're visiting with us this morning and uh, you're maybe wondering what in the world did I walk into, um, we are actually in a journey that's called Resurgence that started a couple of, of weeks ago where we are actually going through uh, the book of Acts over the next year, and we're asking the question, what does that, what, what we experience in the book of Acts, what does that reflect on who we are today, how we're supposed to live our lives as followers of Jesus, and what our church is supposed to look like? And so we'll be taking time to, to do that today. And so, but I, I want to prepare, this is, this is a morning that we've been anticipating, obviously just we like we would do every Sunday morning, because we're going to talk about the power in our story. So as we jump into Acts chapter 2, where there's, we, we hit a couple of key passages in chapter 1, and then the remainder of the chapter focused on them doing what God asked them to do, which is actively waiting for what? For the Holy Spirit to come and to give them power. And so we've, we went over that the first couple of weeks, and so we get to Acts chapter 2, and this is where the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, what we're about to read, depending on your background, depending on uh, your history in the church or even your maturity in the Lord, uh, you may have different understandings of what we're about to read. And for some, it's like, yeah, I love this. This is my favorite part of the Bible. For others, you're like, I don't even know what this is. I've never heard it before. And when we read it, you're thinking, that's really strange. It's because there's a dynamic of what God wants to bring in our life that is beyond our explanation and beyond our control. But as I've been praying, praying for this Sunday specifically, I know that in order for us to fill what, to experience what the Bible describes as baptism of the Holy Spirit, or be filled with the Spirit, it's true in each one of us. In order for God's power to be released in us, something has to break. Something has to pop. Something has to change in us so that God can do His work. It's not earning anything. It's not performing for God so that you're good enough and God does something. But something in us has to break to bring about the release of God's power in our life. And, and for us this morning, we, we need to understand that because that's part of, I think, where we're going to go this morning is that God, and I had first service, I had so many people talk about in different ways for them how something broke in their life and the result was they experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. So to kind of give you a visual of this, uh, uh, take a look at this picture. I, I've shared this story before, but, but this is, I got to share it because it's one of my favorite stories because I love airplanes. So I love them, especially military. Um, what happens, this is an F-14 Tomcat sitting on, a, on an aircraft carrier, and it's, it's in what's called full afterburner takeoff. It's about to be launched. And if you have not seen that, you know, watched on TV or anything, anybody seen Top Gun? I know it's like a classic movie now. Um, it's one of the most impressive things you will ever see. Um, I had the privilege because of Kim's brother being in the Navy when we first started dating that I got to go on a carrier for a whole day and watch them do full flight operation. So I was similar to this picture. I was standing 100 feet from a plane do, doing just that incredible amount of power but this whole system that's set up of how we technologically can launch a plane that weighs tons and go from zero to 150 miles an hour in two seconds and give it the ability to fly off a deck in the middle of the ocean how in the world does that happen well there's a lot going into that but but you have to understand it is a combination of power that both pushes and pulls that makes that plane get off the deck but all of this, and that's, that's an estimated, that's a $30 million airplane sitting on a billion-dollar carrier. But all of what that plane's about to do comes down to one small piece of engineered metal that's worth about 100 bucks. It's called a holdback pendant. And that holdback pendant is a piece of metal that attaches one end to the plane and the other part to the deck. And it is engineered in such a way that at the just the right amount of pressure of a catapult that's driven by steam and jet engines that are obviously 
fueled by fuel and fire, when they, their pressure reaches the right amount of attention, that piece of metal snaps in two and the plane launches. That's the only way that plane gets off that deck is if something breaks every single launch. If that pendant doesn't break, that plane does not get off the deck. And if it sits there, they have to power down because they'll fry the deflector on the back end. But that little thing has to break. And if it doesn't break, you have no launch. You never get off a ship. You never do what you're supposed to do. The same thing is true, I'm convinced, and it's been true in my life. The moments where God comes, me and comes and fills me with his spirit, something inside of me breaks. And it's the, the key that releases God's power in my life. And we'll talk about it. It could be your theology. It could be your pride. It could be your sin. It could be a lot of different things that become a barrier for what God wants to do. And God's saying, that thing's got to pop today. And when it pops, you're going to know it because you've experienced. I had people coming up to me about marriage and about something breaking in them about how they view their marriage. I mean, it's just the first service was crazy to watch God break things. So keep that in mind as we move through Acts chapter 2 today because there's something that God wants to bring about in your life. He wants to fill you with his spirit. That's his purpose. In fact, praying yesterday, God reminded me, he's more excited about today than we are. Just so you know, there's a whole thing on his end. He's like, yeah, that's what I wanted to be for the church. That's why Acts chapter 2 is in the Bible because they are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So as we jump into Acts chapter 2, we'll walk through some questions together. But if you have your Bibles, let me read the first 13 verses, and then we'll walk through what we're seeing and experiencing and understanding. So verse 1, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, that was otherwise known as the Feast of Weeks, which was a, a normal Jewish festival, it says they were all together in one place. They had all, in fact, what happened is all had traveled. It was part of Jewish tradition that the, the man of the household would travel to Jerusalem for certain feasts. This was one of them, so they were gathering. So they were all together in one place, this group of people waiting for God's power to show up. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided uh, tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as, this, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and parts of Libya beyond uh, to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the wor mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Is that just a little strange? Yeah, yeah, it's okay to say that, okay? It is, but it's not strange because of humanity. It's strange because we don't understand it. But it's the very thing that God purposes for his church. And that's why I want to walk through five questions that come out of this passage of scripture that you and I have to come to grips with. Not a way to jump through hoops, not a formula to say, God, show up and do your thing, but a way for us to remove barriers so that we can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life, which, by the way, is a normal part of Christianity. It isn't a Pentecostal experience. It's a normal Christian experience. This is the progression of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and said, I'm going to go so that the Spirit may come. This is the progression of what Jesus had for his church. First question is this. How did they prepare for the Holy Spirit? 
So hear me, God doesn't give formulas and say, hey, if you do ABC, then I'll do XYZ. God doesn't work that way. That's why Jesus doesn't heal people the same way twice in, in, the, in the Gospels. It's not a formula that gets God's presence. It's us attentive to what he's doing. Two things of how they prepared for the Holy Spirit. First was they were actively waiting. Now you would think that's an oxymoron. That means, wait, how do you actively wait? See, when we think of waiting, we hate waiting. Waiting is what? Killing time, being bored, standing in a line, having nothing to do, waiting in traffic, right? We hate to wait, but that's passively waiting. That's just kind of waiting and trying to kill time until something else changes. That's not the kind of waiting that they were experiencing in Acts chapter 2. In fact, in, in, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that God had ordered them to wait, but then they come together and they're waiting actively. Why? Because God said, wait for a reason. He said, wait, because I will send my spirit on you and you will receive power. So they're waiting actively. What does waiting actively look like, okay? Best example I can come up with is this. Hopefully you're a football fan and you can get it. Take a look at this picture. Hopefully if you're not a football fan, you're a Ram fan though, right? How about for the Rams? Oh man, I guess Ram fans go to first service. But anyway, so whether you're a football fan or not, what you see is a team lined up and they're waiting. They're not in the huddle, but they're waiting. What are they waiting for? That's right, they're waiting for the snap. They're waiting for the quarterback to give the signal, to hike the ball, and then as soon as the ball's hiked, what do they do? They react to that, and they're in motion. But their posture in waiting determines what happens after the ball is hiked. You notice they're not standing around, kind of shooting the breeze, waiting for the quarterback to get with it. They're all lined up for a reason. Why? Because as soon as the ball snapped, they're actively waiting for that moment where they launch into action. The same thing is true. One of the reasons I think sometimes we struggle with, with experiencing all that God has for us is that we're not actively waiting. We're waiting in boredom. We're, we're distracted by our boredom. And instead of saying, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for what you want to do. Any moment, I am ready to push in to what you want to do in, in my life. The second thing that was true of them, not were they, only were they actively waiting, is that they were actually bonded together. It's really powerful. It says in, in verse 14 of chapter 1, it says they actually used the term, Luke writes the term, they were in one accord, which means unity. They were bonded together. In verse 1, it says what? They were all together in one place. Don't miss that. They were all together in one place. You and I write right over that, and one of the reasons that we do is because we live in a very separated, kind of distant, isolated culture because of the patterns of busyness of life and because we think technology can be a substitute for community, and it can't. Don't miss this. This is not some cultural phenomenon. Well, they didn't have iPhones. They didn't have YouTube. They, didn't, they couldn't go on and watch the message the week after. They couldn't know. They had nothing to do with this. They were all gathered together. And from what we can tell, from what the New Testament tells us, there's about 120 people packed into this upper room, which is an attic space, anticipating that God's going to show up. But they were all together. That speaks volumes about being all together, which is community. Now hear me, I'm not saying, oh, Pastor John, you're on your little soapbox about church attendance again. No, I'm not. The last thing I want anybody to do is to come to Antioch because I'm the pastor or because we have a good worship team or because we have a good children's ministry. Honestly, that's the last reason I want you to come. The reason I want you to be a part of Antioch is because you're convinced that God shows up when we gather. If that's not what we're here for, then we're just a club. That's all we are. That's the only thing that differentiates us between, between us and the rest of the world. If God's power doesn't show up when we gather, then what are we doing? 
That's what they understood. They thought, if we're together, and that's why, please value community. It isn't about you taking attendance at church, but it's you missing out. Can you imagine if there was only 119, and that one person who was supposed to be the 120th said, you know what, I'm really busy today, and I can't show up. And then all of a sudden, we'll see in the passage, it starts breaking loose. We're like, what happened? Oh, I should have been there. Should have been there to experience not a great message, not a great worship team. I should have been there to experience the power of God that showed up in the midst of community. That's what happened for them. Don't miss that. So when you go online, that's supplemental. That's not, in a, in a, that's not to replace what we experience. It's to catch you up. What did God, what did I experience? Because by the way, if you've ever watched one of our messages online, I'm really uninspiring online, okay? <laughs> and by the way, you don't get any experience in worship. And even if we did have worship online, you can't experience what happens in the room. There's something about being present. Second question, Se that's this, how did the Holy Spirit come? So again, God doesn't use formulas, and so we're not buying into a formula, but we're making some observations here. Two things in verses two and three that indicate for us something that the way that God was coming through his spirit that was very powerful. The first one was wind. He came, it says, like a mighty rushing wind. Now, of all people in the world, we should understand what wind does, right? We live in Simi Valley which is one of the windiest places in Southern California, if not the country. So we know what wind does. Other than being destructive, what does wind do? Wind moves things, doesn't it? It rearranges things that sometimes you don't want rearranged. Anybody ever had anything on the outside of your house move as a result of wind? Raise your hand, because we all have, right? Your patio furniture, your screens, your leaves, whatever it is, things you don't want to blow off, your satellite dish, whatever. Think what wind comes and it rearranges the landscape around it. That's why Luke says, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes and rearranges your life and your understanding of who God is. And some of us are in desperate need of that today because you got God in a nice, neat, and tidy box and you're living with that and God is saying, I was never meant to be in a box. In fact, I want to come and I want to rearrange your understanding of church and life and give you what it's supposed to look like. If wind doesn't work for you, how about fire? Goes on, and what happens is what? It says tongues as a fire came in and separated over each of them. This image of fire is powerful, because we know that what does fire do? Fire burns, obviously. It, it consumes things. But this fire is not a fire that is consuming and that it brings destruction. It's a fire that actually brings renewal. See, one of the positive sides, see, we always see the negative side of fire in Southern California, which, by the way, it's really funny. If you've ever lived outside of Southern California, People are convinced that every summer and fall, the entire state burns. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it, but it's like, they're like, I don't want to travel to California because it's fire season. Like there's a fire on every corner, right? But what does fire do? Fire actually brings renewal to things that need to be burned away and new growth needs to come. Now, you've probably seen this because we live in Southern California, but I know it's really evident right now. You remember the fire that was on the backside of Burbank uh, into Tahunga, uh, kind of that, the area by the 210? That burned a little over a year ago. Have you driven through there lately? You know what you're starting to see on the hillside? Green. Why? Because what burned away made room for new growth. And the Holy Spirit comes in fire. Why? Because some of us need the old burnt off. We need something new to come to us that's fresh and powerful and transforms us because we're still living in an old paradigm, an old way of thinking, and we're trying to hang on to the old, which is and God's saying, I want to burn that away so that new growth can come. So we have the image of wind and the image of fire. And remember this before we go on to the next question. This is so important. 
when you and I read through a story like this in the Bible, and if you've read it multiple times, one of the things that you and I start to assume is somehow the people that are being written about knew what was coming. They didn't know. They just knew they were waiting actively for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that wind and fire were going to show up. They didn't have a script. And that's what it's so important for us to remember. Don't put a script on God. That's when we get into trouble. When we tell God how he has to work, that's when we're in trouble. We're like, we're God saying, God, this is the way you're supposed to do it. God doesn't work that way. He's God. And me, making room for God to do what he wants to do the way he wants to do it. Then the third question, what was the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? What did they experience when the Holy Spirit came? Three things. The first one is language. So it says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is crazy. Just let this settle in for a moment. These are people who don't know how to speak certain languages and suddenly, spontaneously, they're speaking in a language that is foreign to them and they don't understand. They didn't go to school for it. They didn't go, to, they didn't go, and, and, and go online and, and take some tutorial on how to speak a certain language. All of a sudden, spontaneously, they're speaking in a language they don't understand, but guess what? People around them are hearing the praises of God in their own language. This is a gift that God brings to people. This is the gift of tongues. Let me just take a moment to talk a little about this, because this is one of the things that seems to cause problems for people in the church, is this gift of language that God gives to people. But what needs to be understood about it is that, that God gives this, and hear me, this is where you and I have to be careful, that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I always, if you come from a Pentecostal background, like, well, you have to speak in tongues, you're not filled with Spirit. Before you go down that road, read the book of Acts. Because not every time did someone who was filled with Spirit speak in tongues. Many times they did. But here's the thing. If God wants to deposit the gift of tongues to you when you're desiring to be filled with Spirit, then go with it. If he doesn't, that doesn't mean you're less of a person. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up. Because there are times in the, in, in the book of Acts that we'll see where they were filled with Spirit and they spoke the word of God more boldly. No mention of tongues whatsoever. But I say that because, listen, the gift of tongues as a spiritual gift that's talked about later, like in 1 Corinthians, is, is a gift that God gives to specific people, the public gift of it, that isn't something that every person isn't going to necessarily have. And how do I know that? Because I speak in tongues every single day of my life. But not one time has God ever given me a tongue that I know I'm supposed to speak in a public gathering because God gives that gift, but he also at the same time, you know what he gives? He gives the gift of interpretation. That when someone speaks in a tongue that they don't know and somebody else in the room understands it, they can say, this is what that person was saying. Then everybody in the room has understanding. And then it actually says in 1 Corinthians 14, then the person who doesn't know God will say, oh my goodness, God must be here because that can't happen by human means. That's the public gift of tongues. But let me just take a side from here for a moment so you can understand something specific. That this, is my, this is my assumptions from a couple different passages, but this is not a firm and hard theology, but it's my experience and also what I see to be seem to be indicated in some passages of Scripture. That I think that the private use of tongues that isn't necessarily used in a public gathering, which is what I utilize every day, is accessible to everyone. I don't think that there are certain people that can. Now hear me. It doesn't mean that everybody will. It means that I think everybody can. Now hear me on this. That means if this is a gift that God gives. What is a gift? A gift is something you don't earn and you don't work up. It's something that somebody grants to you because they love you. If God wants to give you the gift of tongues, then he'll give it to you. Like I said, but if you don't experience that, he's going to give you other gifts. And because he loves you and he loves the church and he loves the world. But I know this for me, that there's something that gets unlocked because I'll tell you my experience with speaking in tongues. God works, I think, sometimes despite us, not because of us. 
And in my experience in a Pentecostal setting, when I was prayed for to be filled with spirit, somebody told me, you're going to speak in tongues, and then we'll know you're filled. And so this is the way they did it. They told me to repeat after them. So I'm going to speak in tongues, and then every word that I say, you repeat, and eventually it's going to become your own. And I did exactly what they said. And I walked away from the experience and thought, that was really cool. But nothing happened. I remember going home and saying, Dad, I think something's wrong with me because I can't, I can't speak like that guy was speaking. And so there must be some secret sin in my life. And my dad said, no, 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 no. He said, and we'll talk about this later in the passage or in the message. He said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and God will do what he wants to do. It took months after that experience for me to actually speak in tongues spontaneously beyond my own control. And that is now something that's a normal part of my life. I say that to say, be open to what God wants to do in your life, but don't be closed that it may be the very thing that you don't think you have to have. God says, I want to give that to you. We had somebody spontaneously filled with the Spirit this morning and speak in tongues in first service. And it was five seconds, and I could tell it was completely spontaneous. And in that moment, it didn't even require interpretation because it was more of God saying, hey, by the way, this is what happened in the book of Acts because this person just relinquished control to me and spontaneous for five seconds. He didn't stand up or anything. He just spoke it out, and then he was quiet. Wow, how did that happen? Now you're really freaking out. I know you are like, oh man, it's those flaming Pentecostals that come to first service. I'm glad I go to second, right? <laughs> second, uh, second thing that of, of, of what the result of being filled with the Spirit is that unity was the result. Verses 5 and 6. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from uh, every nation under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were all bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. So, this is, God picks his timing perfectly. This is what God was doing. This is the feast of weeks. This is the, the Pentecost feast. This is a feast that in Jewish culture, the, the male in the household would, would, would take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So that means that all the Jews that had been dispersed outside of, of Israel and Jerusalem all made this pilgrimage to come back in at this time. So that's why it says there were people, there were men, heads of household, present in Jerusalem from every nation under the earth. They had all come back. Why do you think that's important? Because God's going to bring a gift of tongues to a group of people, and they're going to start speaking languages that are from all over the world. Now, this is what's so powerful about God using language as the means to demonstrate his spirit's power. We're not gonna, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you, if you were to go back and you were to look at Genesis chapter 11, there's a very strange and powerful story, and it really is, believe it or not, it's a story of God's grace over the world because at the time there was one language on the planet there was only one language spoken everybody could communicate there were no language barriers but because of that the sinfulness of man's heart there was great unity not for good but for evil so because of that unity there was this idea that we have the capacity to be to be god we'll build a tower that reaches to the heavens and we'll be in charge of everything and god in his grace because he knew the level of evil that humanity could accomplish he decided to separate humanity by using what? Language. So in a moment, everybody's speaking a different language. Can you imagine the chaos? They don't know what's going on. So now they're separate. Now they actually have to try to, try to find people that are speaking the same language as them because they're confused. God did that to curb sin in the world and cause division. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 2? This is no accident. The same language he used to divide thousands of years earlier, he does what? He does to unite. And people who speak different languages are now speaking languages they don't understand. People are hearing languages that they understand, and they're all pointing one direction. Where are they pointing? To the third thing. The third thing is what? Is praise. It's praise. 
They're hearing the mighty acts of God in their own languages, which is a really important key about what tongues is. How do you know if somebody's giving an accurate interpretation of tongues? Tongues is prayer and praise. It's indicated in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which says tongues is what? It's from man to God. Prophecy is from God to man. So if somebody is giving a tongue and then someone speaks in English to give the interpretation, they will be praying or praising God. That's how you know. If they say, thus saith the Lord, they're prophesying, which may not be wrong, but it certainly isn't the interpretation. So that's the public gift. But what's powerful about this is that all these people, the reason tongues was so powerful is that everybody was understanding in their own language what these people were saying. There was always somebody understanding that language. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you've never spoken Arabic in your life and suddenly you just busted out in Arabic? That would be wild, but there just happened to be somebody who speaks Arabic next to you, and they're like, you're speaking the praises of God in my language. How are you doing that? It's the Holy Spirit. So this is the result of what happens. These things happen, so they get language. There's unity, and then there's praise towards God, this, this supernatural ability to worship a supernatural God. And then this leads to the fourth question, which is probably most important for us today, and that is, how do we miss the filling of the Holy Spirit? How does this thing happen, and, and we don't get to participate in it? Lots of reasons, but there's, there's three things, I think, that are in this passage that are things you and I have to see. The first one is this first reason that we might miss the, the Holy Spirit and the, being filled by Him is that we try to understand it mentally. We try to understand the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our brains. In fact, listen to what it says in verse 12. It says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one, one another, What does this mean? So there's like confusion going on because they're like, wait a second. Perplexed literally means to be uncertain, to be puzzled, to wonder about. They're not sure what, what is going on here. They're, they're a bit confused. And so there's this tendency to say, okay, I got to try to figure this out. I got to try to understand this. Which, by the way, this is part of the story of mankind in response to God. Do you know what they're asking in this passage? They're asking a question that you and I ask all the time. We just don't articulate it with the same words. We're asking this question. Is this God? How many times have you walked into a gathering and something happens and you're not sure about it and the first question in your mind is, not articulating it, but you're saying, is this God? That's what they're asking. They want to know. And this is important for us to realize that there is sometimes you and I are not going to be able to understand what God does by simply putting it into our brain, computing it, and spitting it out with a great explanation. If that were the case, then you and I would need God. We'd be God. That's where faith comes in. That's where the trusting that the supernatural is beyond us. And Paul reminds us of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Holy Spirit to understand the Holy Spirit. But even at that, you're not going to understand everything about the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to trust his work. Second thing of when we miss the Holy Spirit, not only do we try to understand it mentally, but we try to mock it arrogantly. We mock the Holy Spirit. What, what's going on? It says, but others mocked, which is to make fun of or to joke. Because they're, it's, it's the same thing that you and I do today. When we're in a situation and something weird happens and we don't understand what it is, the only way that you and I diffuse the discomfort is by making a joke. How many know that's true? kind of like ease the tension. I got to laugh at this, at least because I don't know what's going on. This is kind of out there. And so I got to make a joke about it because I don't think it really could be God. So let's just all laugh about it, which sadly, that's what's happened in some of the church when it comes to understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. It is mocked arrogantly. And those who experience it are looked down upon as though you're second-class citizens because you don't really understand. That was for back in the Bible times. That's not for today. 
who are you and I to say that? There's no solid theology from the, from the New Testament that will tell you that God decided to stop sending his spirit 2,000 years ago. He still does that today. But you and I have to be careful that we don't mock the work of the Spirit. We don't make light of what God is trying to do. Now, I'll be honest with you. In Pentecostal circles, sometimes there's crazy stuff that people do, not God, that people do that gets mocked and is kind of funny. It is. Because it's like, yeah, you know what? That's your reaction, and that's something you're manipulating to make it look like God's doing something great. But I can tell in you, that's not real. And that's when it gets, gets kind of strange. And that's where you and I have to be careful. We'll talk about in a response this morning of what, what we see God wanting to do, understanding that God is working in a certain way that you and I don't have to manufacture a certain response. In fact, I'll just take a side note, which I did first service, so you understand. Because I know there's anxiety in the room. Oh, what are we going to do? It's going to get crazy. No, no, no. Listen. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, when you say weird, what's your definition of weird? And I think in the dialogue, it's kind of like, so this is weird, this is not weird. No, 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 it's not about a level of certain activity that's weird. I'll tell you, when, when, when things become weird, it isn't God, it's our response. Now let me explain what I mean by that. When God comes and he moves by his spirit, you and I will have some kind of response. It may be a gift of the spirit. It may be speaking in tongues. It may be some other gift. There actually may be a physical reaction that you can't even stand on your feet anymore. And you'll fall to the ground. There are other times where people spontaneously, Lord has come on them, and they've started laughing. Not out of humor, not out of mocking, but there's a joy that overflows their soul that causes that to happen. Now here's where it gets weird. It's when somebody watches that response and says, that has to happen every time. That's when churches get weird, because when you come in, you gotta fall on the floor, or the Holy Spirit's not gonna show up. You gotta speak in tongues, you gotta laugh. No, that's missing the point. I'll tell you, I have never fallen down under the power of God in my life, but I would love to if that's what he wants to do in my life. I refuse to duplicate what somebody else experienced to somehow justify God showing. If God wants to knock me on my butt, I've prayed for years that he would do it. He hasn't done it yet, but people in my family have experienced it. And so I don't write it off as, oh, that's just emotionalism. No, are you kidding me? The power of God showing up in your physical body, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, yeah, your, your knees might get a little weak. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that what's weird is when we try to replicate the response and not experience the power. Let God do what he wants to do in you, but don't make it about your response. Make it about his power, and then we'll experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit because that's going to be varied across the room. First service. Some people sat down. Some people need, some, kneeled. Some people cried. One person spoke in tongues. All of them, I could tell, were experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, but all different, all diverse in their responses to what God was doing. Then there's the third, third thing of, of understanding, and that is try to explain it naturally. So it says in verse 13, last part of verse 13, it says what they were, this is what the response was to people who couldn't understand. Ah, oh, they're just filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's the only explanation that people who didn't understand what was going on, like the only explanation is you're drunk. And by the way, next week, we're gonna, this, next week is just as important this week because Peter's response to this critique about people asking the unspoken question of, is this God, is the basis for Peter's most incredible sermon in all of the Bible is preached based on people questioning if God's showing up or not, which is next week, because next week is the tension in our story, the tension created when God shows up, and if we're going to say yes, Lord, or we're going to reject what he's doing. But the only explanation people can come up with is, you're drunk. And by the way, Peter says, uh, no, it's too early for that. That's what he says. 
You might be able to write it off in the evening, but it's in the morning. They haven't, no one's even had any wine yet. But why is this so important? Because you and I need to understand that there, there's a connection between the outward appearance of being drunk because of wine and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. It isn't that you're going to stumble out of this place drunk. That's not it. But here's why there's a connection between wine and the Holy Spirit and between being drunken and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit is when you drink and you become drunk, you subject yourself to being out of control. You, you allow yourself, your defenses to come down in such a way that now you're at the mercy of what's happening around you and you're not in control of yourself. And if you don't think that's true, then why is there DUIs all the time? Because someone can't even drive because they can't control themselves. But what, what, what's highlighted here is that the same thing is true when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're no longer in control. But you haven't submitted yourself to wine that, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because what does wine do? It leads to debauchery. It leads to more sin. But he said, instead, do what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't put yourself under control of wine but put yourself under control of the Holy Spirit. So let me explain this, okay? Because you're like, oh, Pastor John, you're against drinking. No, I'm not. Jesus drank wine, but I'll tell you what I'm dead set against is drunkenness. And let me tell you, not only because of the devastating impact in your life and those around you, but it's a counterfeit to the true filling of the Holy Spirit, and we are driven to drink and get to the point of drunkenness because we're trying to answer to something deep inside of us that has gone unanswered. And you're looking for alcohol to produce that in your life. And the only person who can produce what you're looking for is God himself in the form of his Holy Spirit that empowers you. That's why there's a connection between the two. Because hear me, I am not against drinking. But I'll tell you this, it frustrates me when people say, I'm free in Christ. Free in Christ to drink, but not to get drunk. Oh, I'm at home, I'm not driving. That doesn't matter to God. He's saying, listen, you're subjecting yourself to something. It's a substance. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's a behavior. It's the same thing that's at the core of your addiction is I'm subjecting myself to something else and rendering myself out of control that now is going to lead me, like Paul says, to what? Debauchery. Instead of saying, I'm submitting myself to the Spirit to be genuinely filled that will answer the needs of my soul that will not send me down the road of debauchery, it'll send me down the road of purpose in my life. That's why this is so important for us to understand that. And then we're going lead, to lead to the last question. Before I do that, the reason I'm taking time to talk about why, why do we have to make sure we don't miss the Spirit is because the, 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 what grieves my heart the most is, and by the way, this is not about a one-and-done Sunday, like, okay, we're going to whip up the Holy Spirit on a Sunday, we're all going to get the Holy, Holy Ghost goosebumps, and then we're just going to go on our way. This is about a reordering of a way of life for us as a church and as we live our life. It isn't trying to come to, ch Sunday, to church every Sunday and trying to force the Holy Spirit to do something. That's not it. But it is realizing that God is reordering a way of life. That's different than, let's go ahead. This is about resurgence over this whole season of time. It isn't about, I'm going to go and just get my Holy Spirit feed that day and then leave. It's something that God is producing. Here's the greatest tragedy. When you and I throw the baby out with the bathwater because of bad experience, bad theology, or fear. Happens all the time. You may be raised in a non-Pentecostal context, which, by the way, we're not talking about Pentecostalism. We're talking about Christianity, okay? But you've had some bad experience, and so you're like, I'm never going down that road again. That was too weird. That couldn't be from God. So I'm just going to close down that part of my life because that couldn't possibly God. That's arrogance. You reacted to the reaction, not to the power. Or maybe you have a theology that you think is airtight, 
which by the way, so did the Jews. They had an airtight theology that did not include wind and fire showing up in their prayer gathering. That's why Peter has to get up and say, whoa, yeah, and by the way, what he does, and you'll hear it next week, he goes back to Joel 2 and says, yeah, this is in your Bible. This is what God said thousands of years ago is going to happen. It's happening now. So they're like, oh, okay, I guess we don't have an argument anymore. This was in our Bible in the Old Testament? Yes, this is what God purposed. But the greatest tragedy is that you would live a bland, easy, safe, boring, bound life that never experienced the power of God. That's the difference between the Christian and someone who doesn't know Jesus, is there's power to be transformed. Because God, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be a moral person. He died on the cross so your soul would be transformed. There's a huge difference between the two. I don't want to be a moral person if it means it's my work. I want my morality to be a byproduct of being transformed by God's spirit in my life. That's genuine. That's real. That's why we show up. That's why we lean into Jesus. Because he's the one that does the transforming work. I'll move on. Last question. In a moment, the worship team is going to join us and we're going to actually have some prayer teams available. We'll talk through some of the logistics of what that looks like. But last question, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus tells a, a really important story or parable in Luke chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. But it's, it's kind of an odd story. So there's a couple of neighbors, and one is, gets up in the middle of the night because he knows he's got someone coming to his house, and he's out of bread, and he needs something. And so he's, he goes in the middle of the night to his neighbor's house, and he starts pounding on the door. Anybody had your neighbor pound on the door in the middle of the night? Okay, right, because if they did, you would probably call the police, right? <laughs> something's not right. But this neighbor goes and starts pounding on the door because he knows he needs something for the next day when his guest is going to arrive. So he's just pounding on the door. And he doesn't just pound once or twice, but he just keeps on hammering until the guy inside comes to the door and answers. And I love in, in, in the NIV, it says this, it says that this is the words described of what this guy's doing, is that he had this, the actual phrase is shameless audacity to just keep, I'm, I, I have to have this. I have to have this. I'm not going away until you open the door and get, uh, so I can get what I need. And Jesus tells a story, and then when he gets to the same chapter in verse 13, this is what he says, because this story is about the Holy Spirit. He says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give uh, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's what this guy's doing. He's just pounding. He's saying, I have to have it. I have to have it. And the same thing is true for us today. You say, well, I prayed and God didn't do anything. Keep going after it. That's why Jesus uses another analogy to talk about the Holy Spirit when he says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask is what? An ongoing request. It's like, I need this. God, I need you to show up. Seeking means I'm pursuing and going after. I'm actively waiting for God to do something. And knocking is just flat out irritating to God in a good way. We're not giving up. I guarantee you, it wasn't that long between Jesus promising the Holy Spirit until he came, but I guarantee that group of people were so hungry, they probably would have waited for years. And for some of us, we've been waiting for years. It's like, okay, God, I want you to do what you're going to do. So I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come up and join me, and then as well, prayer teams, when I, when I pray in just a moment, you can come up and take your positions. But I want to I give you some instructions about what we're about to do. Again, one of the things that we have to be aware of is that I, I, the last thing I would ever want for our church is a manipulative response to what God may be doing. I want a genuine response to what God's doing. I know God is moving today. But what we're going to do in, in the next few moments, we're going to go into a, a song that's kind of extended music, and so there's going to be words. Eventually there will be, we'll, we'll sing. But we're wanting just to create space for God to do what God wants to do. 
And so during that time, there's going to be prayer teams up the front. But I want you to under understand, prayer teams are, are available. It doesn't mean it's mandatory that in order for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to go to a prayer team. But you may need to, out of obedience, have somebody lay hands on you. You need that touch for God to work in your life. But what I'd like to do, especially the first part, is just give space to say, God, what is it you want to do in me today? How do you want to come and fill me with your spirit? And just give that space. So you may want to get on your knees. You may want to stand and go to the back. You may want to come to the front. But, but, but you, there has to be something inside of you that says, God, I know you want to fill me where you are. Here's the key. Here's the, the come with us. Or that F-14, and we are sitting on the deck right now. And we are longing for God's power. And we feel like we've done everything we can to try to make it happen, and it still is not happening for us. We're like, God, whatever you want to do, and it's just not happening because something in you hasn't broken yet. That thing that you've held, that's held you back, it's always the qualifier. It's always the limiter. It's always the thing that comes to mind. It may be a sin or a theology or an experience, and it just hasn't broken you yet. It hasn't, and because of that, the power of God hasn't been released in your life yet. I guarantee, I can say this with great confidence, God wants to break that in you today because he wants to bring his power to bear in your life he has good things he, the father loves you and he wants his spirit to come and to bring power in our lives but you in the next few moments and then we'll continue to, to just to let the holy spirit do what he wants to do is that just ask the lord maybe you know what it is god i'm releasing this i'm going to let this break in me i'm going to surrender it to you today so that you can do what you want to do so lord jesus as we prepare our hearts right now i pray that you would by your spirit lord we know that 2,000 years ago, you did something that was an explosion that started your church that has not ended for 2,000 years, and you still fill your people with your spirit. We want that today. And so, Lord, we are here asking, we are seeking, we are knocking, and we are asking that you would send your spirit. So, Lord, however you want to work, you have your way in us today as we make ourselves available. So, Lord, we surrender the places where we know we need to be broken so that we might experience your power today. In your name, Jesus.